Susan started to, to sing or to, to play that song, and I knew that it was one that we were going to sing, and so I automatically thought, oh, I guess, I, I guess we're singing one more song. But uh, I guess we're doing that later, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was in practice. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I guess I just got it all uh, mixed up. It's not, it's not hard for me to, to do that. Um, anyway, um, last week we actually talked about this. Uh, well, the fancy word for this was... Um, for what we talked about, we talked about God being a transcendent God. That's kind of the, the, the theological kind of word for it, that he's incomparable or that he's beyond compare, that, well, that God is great and he's big and he's mighty and he's, I, I, I mean, I guess what really comes to my mind when I think about, you know, Isaiah 40, the passage that we looked at last week is, is really the magnificence of God, the, the, the magnitude of God and the and, and that he's greater than creation, that he's greater than the nations, that he's greater than all these, uh, all, that he's greater than all the, you know, he's greater than people and all that stuff like that. But it, it's, it's really enough to make you kind of understand even a little bit uh, what was going on in the minds and the hearts of Israel when Moses went up onto that mountain top. And there they were, they were waiting for a word from God, and there was this smoke that was rising, and then there's fire, and there's lightning, and there's clouds, and and they were at the base of this mountain, and, and, and they were told, you know, don't even come near. Don't even come close to the mountain. Don't even touch it. Stop right there. Because if you touch it, you're going to die. <laughs> it's this kind of idea, I think, that you have sometimes of, of God at arm's length. God, you know, just not quite reachable, not quite touched, touchable. And I think... You know, in a sense, there is some truth to that. I mean, that I mean, God is, after all, He is God. And and um, now I wanted to show you a picture of something up on the screen here. I don't know if I've shown you I, this picture before. You, but that uh, you see that there. Um, you know who that this kid is, right? Huh? Is the kid that's smiling right over there? He's pretty little there. Remember him? Remember that little kid? Um, Eating a little ice cream. He's sitting on my lap. He's about three years old at that time, and man, how time just flies when that uh, when that happens. He's younger than Zaylin, there, because you're six. Isn't Zaylin six? No, she's five. You're you're five. Yeah. Well, we better keep that record straight. Um, she's she's five yet. So um, Bentley, you're five. All right. So anyway, time flies, and that's, that's part of my point. Next thing you know, I mean, tomorrow they're going to be in high school or junior high, and you're going to be going crazy, and, and all you guys know what that's like. And, uh, but anyway, I was pretty proud that day. I was enjoying the moment. But the thing, what, what I really want to paint in your mind is this picture, a picture of what, you know, this father who's in, in resting, uh, he has this child that's comfortably sitting in his lap, and... and uh, I want you to, to have that picture for you. But I wonder, do, do you sometimes feel that way? Like that's the way it is with God, that you, can, you, you have this privilege of just crawling up into his lap and essentially saying, Daddy. Do you ever feel that way? That's, it's such an interesting thought because, believe it or not, here's really the point of, of the text that we're going to look at today, and it is, in fact, this. God wants you close. Um, I did this little thing um, 
when we were camp, I was actually talking about this same subject uh, when I was in camp this, this summer, and I was talking about God and wanting us close, and we had somebody come up. I think it was Mike. I had him come up, and we, we talked about the closeness of God. So, Mike, why don't you come out up here? So we, we, we talked about this, this little illustration. So we, we kind of did something like this. I said, you know, how would I, you know, if I was going to meet somebody, if I was introducing myself to somebody, and I said to Mike, I just said, hey, how are you doing? My name is Paul. What's your name? And he'd say, my name is Mike. Right now he can't say anything because he's being shy about it. But, you know, that's, that's pretty comfortable. That, that's, but what if I came up to Mike, and I'm introducing myself to Mike for the very first time, and I said, hi, my name is Paul. And, and I, I'm really glad to meet you. huh? That would be a little more less uncomfortable with him. Now, but the question that I have is, is, what if I got like this? You know, and said, hi, my name is Paul. I mean, you're, you're probably thinking, you can go sit down. You're probably thinking, okay, I'm a little bit close for comfort. You got uncomfortable with that, didn't you? That's just like somebody comes nose to nose with you. You can smell their breath. You can... All that kind of, it's just like uncomfortable. And, and yet, um, well, I'm not sure that's the image that I want you to, to have. I do want, however, to emphasize the very fact that God wants us close. He wants to be close to us. And you know that, um, you know, husbands and wives, you know that, um, that there's, uh, you know, when you're in a relationship with each other, that, that you're, you're comfortable with one another and you, you, f- you feel close to that person. And God wants to be close to us. And, and um, anyway, well, I want to look at this this morning. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 is telling us. Um, we're going to take a look, at, just a sneak peek at it. We're going to take a peek at this this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, is a, it's a book to Jewish Christians. You can take a and open your Bibles to that right now, if you would. Uh, these are Jewish Christians. They struggle. They struggle with things like the law and like the sacrifices and they, the priesthood and the priests and, and how do I have a personal relationship with God and, and, and how do I have that relationship with this God that I know is the one who is at the top of the mountain. And so there's this transitional move in the book right here in verse number 19 he says, therefore, that's the transition. It marks a transition in the text. And in previous chapters, there's a lot of discussion about how Jesus is greater than Moses and how he's greater than the priests and greater than the law and greater than the sacrifices and greater than the temples and the tabernacles. And, and now he says this. Look at verse number 19, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Say, the, say most holy place. The most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more 
as you say the, see the day approaching. God wants us close. That's really the point of what he's talking about here. And, and I find myself asking, you know, what would that look like? If I knew that God wanted me to live close to him, what would that look like? And at least I think part of the answer to that would be something like this, that we are free to enter into his presence. That's really what verses 19 through 22 tell us, is that, that we have this freedom. We have this freedom to actually come. In, in, in fact, to, to come in the presence of God himself. We, we have been allowed to come. In fact, the text says, not only may you, not only may, uh, not only may you just simply come in, but you can come in with confidence, with boldness. Really what we have here is a tabernacle image. Now, I know that from in times past, I actually um, drew up this recently. Um, I've had different ones before, and I know in different times when we've talked about Hebrews, I've shared some of this with you, but um, I think it's still important. Uh, this is a picture of, of the tabernacle, kind of a raw picture of, of the tabernacle, maybe what it would look like. We, we, we probably don't have specifics in terms of, uh, well, they didn't have um, Polaroid cameras back then, so you know, maybe we don't know exactly, um, but we have a pretty good idea, and, 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 and people have looked in, as people have looked into this, what this may have looked like in terms of the tabernacle itself. And, and I just, uh, this image of tabernacle really is, is something that's so valuable for us to understand this. But anyway, this is just uh, some kind of a weird structure. It's uh, about 15 feet high. It's got these wood walls, and they somehow those sit in some kind of metal sockets. And, 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 uh, and it's this three-sided wood out of, made out of wood. It's 45 feet long. If you think about this room here itself, the tabernacle could fit in this room right here. 15 feet wide, that's longer than 15 feet wide. Half of this room, 15 feet wide, 40 feet, 5 feet long, that's actually longer. 15 feet tall. Um, and inside that structure, there's basically there's two rooms. One is called, it, it's, about, it's about two-thirds of the way back. There's this curtain that hangs from floor to ceiling. It divides off this space, so it would be like having a big old wide curtain right here, thick, deep, wide curtain, um, heavy curtain. And that room is 15-foot square. It's like a cube, really. It's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's, it's a cube. It's, it's 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, 15 feet long. It's, it's a cube. And, and out in front of that structure, there's this big tank. Out in front of this, this tabernacle, there's this, big, there's this big tank. It's a big bowl that really looks kind of like a... You can move it to the next picture. It looks kind of like a... Uh, right here. It looks like a bird bath, a giant bird bath. It's really more of a... It's kind of a... Um, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than a bird bath, if you will. And in front of that is this very large altar where they offered the sacrificial lambs. Around this structure is um, a rather large courtyard. And, and I don't really have on this picture here the, all of the courtyard, but if, if you looked at that, I mean, we're talking 75 feet long. And it's a fairly big courtyard that they have and, and probably you know, twice as long as you can kind of see, well, this is all the courtyard, all of this. Not, not here. Um, 
all of this out here, but it gets, it gets bigger than that. Um, but anyway, there's this courtyard, and the priest would, um, uh, Israel could actually bring, uh, well, this is actually um, fenced off. That, that whole entire place is fenced off. And the priests, uh, Israel could bring their people in. They could, they could only come so far to the place of, of uh, as that place of that offering. And the priests, they were the ones that could, would then offer the sacrifices. They could wash themselves in that big tank, and then, and then they, it's called a laver. They would wash themselves in that. They would go into that first room, this first room. Now we're talking the tabernacle here. They would go into this first room, that bigger rectangle. They would go into that, and that table, uh, there was a table there for bread. There's a table that would, uh, uh, where they offered incense. There was, there was a candlestick that gave light into that room. But that second curtain, or that second room, was off limits to them. Nobody went into that. Nobody went into that second room, because in the second room, that was where that held the Ark of the Covenant, and um, it had the Ten Commandments in it. They had the, uh, some other things that accumulated in that box over the years, things like Aaron's uh, budding staff and so on and so forth. God's glory, though, God's glory, His very presence, was supposedly to sit on, uh, was understood to be sitting on that box. And then once a year, once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into that, or go through that curtain, I mean, it was such sacred territory that they even got into the habit traditionally of tying a rope around someone's waist or around their ankle in case they got in there. You know, the high priest went in there, and what, what happens if he you know, fainted or if he had a heart attack or something like that, that they could somehow get him out of there, you know, because nobody could go in there unless they die. And so they had to have some way of getting him out because nobody could go, go into that. Um, and that's called the most holy place. We have the holy place. We have the most holy place. And because that's where God was, or at least the understanding of that's where his presence was. Now, I know that for some of you, we've, we've, um, you've looked at this before and you've seen some of these pictures, but I think it's such, a, it's such an, uh, an important illustration or uh, something that we should keep in our mind when we're thinking about sacrifices, when we're thinking about the, what Jesus has done, especially this topic of him wanting to be close to us. But there was this curtain that separated us from God. And only the high priest could go into that once a year. And only after offering personal sacrifices for himself and washing in that big labor, then he could go in. That one, uh, that, 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 that one day a year, the Day of Atonement, and he could somehow encounter the presence of God on behalf of all the people. But listen to this closely here. I don't want you to miss this. The writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews says for, for, for you, you have been given the privilege of not only sneaking a peek inside the most holy place, you have been allowed to come in with absolute boldness and confidence. That curtain has been ripped in two. And you've been allowed to come into the presence of God any time you want. You can come barging into this place with no fear. You can come in with no hesitation because this is a place not, uh, not of just a, a transcendent God, uh, but one who wants you close. It's a, it's a gift from God because God wants us close. 
But you come in, he says, not just with confidence. Do you notice in those first two or three verses that, 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 that you also come in with sincerity? Did you see that? With a sincere heart, having your heart sprinkled, or, uh, hearts, uh, or your conscience cleansed, he says in, in verse number 22, and your body washed with pure water. I mean, there's that sacrificial uh, imagery that comes right out of the temple ground. There's, there's been a sacrifice offered. There's been a washing in order for you to be clean to come into God's presence. Kind of reminds me of Psalm 24, where the psalmist says, Who can enter the presence of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I mean, the interesting thing is that when, we, when you read the commentary on, on, on the book of Hebrews, that there's, there's hardly a commentary that has been written in which the writer does not suggest that that's, the, that's a, an image of Christian baptism. That there is this cleansing that takes place in, in, in the conscience, and that there's this washing that takes place that demonstrates that this cleansing has occurred. We're invited to come into His presence. But we come into His presence only when we have a pure heart and when we have clean hands. See, the invitation to worship is an invitation for those of us who know this God to enter into His presence with that kind of confidence, with that kind of sincerity, because because we, we have, in fact, experienced an encounter with the living God, and it's changed our lives, right? Paul understood in the, that in, in, in the New Testament that there would be people who did not understand worship, who did not know God, who would come into the presence of, uh, of the worship experience in church, and the church was, was supposed to do was supposed to do worship in a way that was not confusing to those who understood because they understood, even in the New Testament, that worship is oftentimes a place that draws people into an encounter with God who do not yet know Him. But see, worship, but, but hear, me, hear me out on this, worship's primary focus, however, is for those of us who do know God who come to this place with a sincere heart. We don't enter into it with emotions. We don't come in and sit and stand because it's the appropriate thing to do. We come in, we enter into worship, we engage God in worship because our hearts have been cleansed and our bodies have been washed and we have found the privilege of coming into the presence of this holy God we have found that privilege of coming in to this holy God who has opened up the door and said, please, I want you in my presence. Isn't that awesome? For the life of me, I can't figure out why he would do that. But he does. He desires that we come into his presence, that we, that we be close with him. He says, you can come in confidently. You can come in with sincerity. You can, be feel, you can feel free to enter. But not only that, not only do we feel free to enter, but look at what he says in verses 23 through 25. He says, you're going to want to stay. You come into my presence and you're not going to want to leave, right? 
Once you get there, that's not, you're not going to, it, it sounds a lot like this. I mean, remember when the psalmist said, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere? Remember those words? That's kind of what it sounds like. Once you come into the very presence of God, once you have entered that relationship with God, once you have found that freedom to come into his presence, he just says you're not going to want to go anywhere else. You are not going to want to leave. And so he says, for example, here in verse number 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. I like that word, unswervingly. You hear, hear what he's talking about? What, you know, unswervingly. I don't want to swerve. I don't want to get off course. I want to stay. I want to be on that, right? Hang on, he says. See, I think he understands something. I think that he understands quite clearly that for everybody who becomes a Christian, that there is somebody out there who would like for you not to be. I want you to digest that. For everyone out there, for, for, uh, that for everybody who becomes a Christian, there's somebody out there that, that would really like for you not to be. That's getting increasingly, increasingly popular in our world today. There are people that just are not tolerant of you being a Christian. Now, in this context, it was the Jewish community that was struggling so desperately. They had spent their entire history being people in waiting, waiting for God to show up in the form of the Messiah, waiting for God to do this special thing. And then Jesus comes, but he doesn't fill their expectations. I mean, they, they thought he was going to be some kind of a different Messiah. He, they wanted him to have an earthly kingdom. And so now all of a sudden they've been asked to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or through this person of Jesus Christ who isn't quite what they expect. And the temptation then is to leave, to go back, to retreat. I mean, isn't that true of almost everybody here who's a Christian? At maybe times. I mean, there's, there's always that temptation to retreat, to go back. They call that apostasy, or they, that's really the big word for it. It shows up, though we haven't read it, it shows up in verses 26 to 31, particularly where there is this danger that people will not hold on. Instead, it says that they will keep on sinning deliberately. They'll go back to their old ways and they'll, fa they'll simply forsake. That's, that's really the biblical word for it. They will simply forsake their relationship with God because the temptation is just too great. The struggle is too hard. And so they give it, they give it up. They walk away. And in that, it's in that context that he says that that's why we need people to encourage us. Did you notice that in verse number 24? He says, let us encourage one another let us encourage how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I get a kick out of that word, spur. Every Christian needs someone to spur them on. You need it, right? I need it. Kevin, I know you need it. Yeah. Everyone needs something, someone to spur them on. I mean, it's, it's really, I think it's a rodeo term, right? You know, that's the picture I have in my mind is some of those old westerns. You know, that would kind of hurt, wouldn't it? I'm glad you, aren't you glad you're not a horse? Huh? That old thing? Boy. But, but I, I, I think sometimes we need that. Um, in my house, we call it a boot to the head. 
Now, my kids, just, 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 for, just for true transparency, they've never had a boot to the head. Um, but we talk about it once in a while. But anyway, sometimes I think we need that. We need that little spur. We need that encouragement. Someone to come on, kind of give us that little spur. Some, because realistically, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of us have felt lethargic, lethargic in our Christian experience? How many of us have just kind of felt a little bit complacent in the way that things are from time to time? You know, where we get complacent, we get stuck, we get in a rut. You kind of get satisfied with where you are in the Christian life, and somebody needs to come along and just say, Ah, man, come on, it's time to grow, it's time to move. Let's just do this together. That's what the church is for. And see, the Hebrew writer understands that those of us who have been invited into the very presence of God, who have been given this freedom to be His, that we're going to be tempted somewhere along the way to walk away from it, to to lose it, to leave it. And he says, we need people who will encourage us. We need people who will actually spur us on. In fact, he goes on in the next verse and he says, let's let's encourage one another toward love and good works and, and even more so as we see the day approaching. What day? As we see the day approaching, what day? Well, for the Jewish people, maybe the day is, uh, you know, the, you know, the destruction of, of Jerusalem. That's, that's the most co- common sort of thing. It happened in about 70 A.D. This, this book having been written probably in the 60s. But I think that more than likely what he's driving at is that as we live in the anticipation of the coming of Jesus, as we see this great day of Jesus Christ on the horizon, we need to encourage each other to be faithful and to love and to do good works. And he says, whatever you do, do not forsake getting together. Don't quit assembling together. Don't quit gathering together as a people of God. Let let me just encourage you every week, each and every week, just to, just to take a look around us and to see who's here, who's not here. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to, um, you know, a week or two goes by. and But make a phone call. Talk to people. Um, give each other a call. Um, um, this week, uh, I, I, this is kind of a little off of where we're going, but this week I just noticed, you know, Richard hasn't been here for a while. And... Um, so I, I, I got a hold of Richard and I'm going to go see him and talk with him today. But, but he's having some issues. And as you see a prayer item that is on our prayer thing, uh, one of the, um, I call this a prayer update, but it's really, this is really something that I really want you to be able to take home with you and to, to spend some time this week talking and praying for these, indi- for these individual topics. Um, just really a focus. It's more of a prayer focus for this week. Um, just to lift up those people, but Richard's been struggling with a couple of things. And, 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 uh, but, but I encourage you, take a look around. Who's not here? Call them up. Get involved with their lives. And, and, and when you run into them in the grocery store, remind them of the commitment that they've made to Jesus or remind them of how important that they are. Because I think the temptation to leave is really strong. I, I think it's a funny thing because that when you think about this, that God wants us close. He wants us close. 
That just amazes me. I just confess that to you, that the, the, the God of the universe, he wants me close. And I, I, I'm really moved to ask this question, how is that even possible? How do sinful people like you and me, how do we even get close to God? And the answer is right here in this text. I mean, you saw it, right? You looked at it. I hope you did. Well, we, we looked right at it. And I'm just telling you. Verses 19 and 20, I got it right back up on the screen here. He says, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living hope, a new and living way opened for us through that curtain. See, it was at the death of Jesus. Uh, one of the things that occurred was that in the temple of Jerusalem, there's that enormous curtain that, that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. It, 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 that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. No man st stood at, at the bottom of that curtain and tried to tear that apart. It was God himself who reached down from heaven and at the death of Jesus Christ, and he grabbed that curtain and he ripped it into two different pieces and he said, my place is now your place. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that did that. His death on a cross made it possible for you and me to have this living way open for us. It's just a remarkable thing that God has done absolutely everything that God can do. I mean, he has opened the door. He has said to you, he said, come in. And not only has he said it to you, he has done everything and not only has he said that to you, but he has done everything necessary to have it happen. He has sent his son to die on your behalf, to tear that door wide open, to open that curtain, to make his presence available. He's done all of that for you. But the decision always remains yours. God has done his part, but it remains up to us to do our part. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, in this world, there are many things that keep us from coming to you. We have things like temptations. We have our own personal hesitancy, I think. Um, sometimes we have just reservations. There's Sometimes our family, maybe even some friends that are around us, uh, there's the, the pressure, but we really want to know you, God. We want to walk in faith with you. We want a relationship with you to be secure. We want to crawl up into your lap and be wrapped up in your great and loving arms. And I want to thank you, God for making that possible through our friend, through our brother, and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.